Good morning. You can all hear me? It's working? Sounds like it. All right. Well, I definitely am suffering from Kevin deficit disorder because look where I am today. <laughs> so, uh, as you can see, the drummer is going to speak today. So, if anyone would like to slink out the back door, I never saw you. That's fine. I understand. Okay. Well, um, Traffic update? No, I don't know what's going on with the traffic around Kevin's house. I have no idea. Should have asked him about that. Uh, <clears throat> I do have a Chigger update. I, I, I'm doing okay so far. I, I think the, the peak Chigger season where I get bitten up and eaten alive has passed. So uh, happy to share that. Very happy. Um, all right. Uh, that will be the only mention of any biting bugs in this sermon. You're, you'll be happy to know. Um, so, I wanted to share, is this, is this too loud? No, it's good? Okay. Um, I'm not used to this, this format. So, I wanted to share with you that over the past maybe week and a half or so, maybe a little longer, um, I feel like I've, I've dealt with some frustrations. Little things. Have you ever had one of those stretches of time period of time of several days where it seems like everywhere you turn, there's a little roadblock in your way or something that just irritates you and it, it's an annoyance that prevents you from doing something or uh, gets under your skin and, and they build up over time. Like if, if you have a period where it just seems like the enemy is attacking you and it doesn't have to be a big event, a big tragedy, it can be that, but it doesn't have to be that. I think often the enemy will use little annoyances that eat at you, and then when they, they have a cumulative effect, and at the end of this, you are just fit to be tied. Well, I've had about a week and a half of that kind of thing. I think stress, you know, um, it has to do with it. Our, our fall semester just began, and that's always a period where i got to get back in that groove, and, and it's a little stressful. But, but I've had a number of things. I thought I'd just share a few of these with you, if you'll indulge me. Um, first of all, about a week and a half ago, I gave blood, which I do many, many times. I don't know how many pints of blood I've given over the years, and it usually goes just fine. They find a, a nice vein, and I'm in and out, no problem. I don't know what happened this time, but uh, maybe you need to ask a phlebotomist what's going on there, but the... the <laughs> Uh, yes, I did. I, I drank a lot of water. Now, I habitually probably am a little dehydrated at any time of the day, but um, normally it's not a problem. And I don't know, she had a hard time. She was digging around in there, and I'm like, you know, like trying to, you know, not squeal, like like a little, little wimp, the little wimp I am, you know. So uh, she was moving that needle around, and my arm still... A week and a half later, right there, really, really tender. So, um, you know, that in and of itself, not a big deal, but that was kind of the beginning where of the stretch I've had. Uh, very soon after that, I got a call at work from the school. You ever have one of those parents call at work from the school? That's never good. Ann was out of town uh, at a work conference, so it was me. And um, normally she takes those, bless her heart, but it was me this time. And 
um, there was a medical emergency. Sam, who is in a cooking class at school, which I think is great, I think that's cool, uh, he cut himself. He was slicing up a sweet potato, which those are kind of tough. You know, that's not like slicing a carrot or even a regular potato. A sweet potato, those are kind of tough. And he somehow got his middle finger and his ring finger under the, under the sweet potato, and the knife went through, and he got himself pretty good. So, and I mean halfway through, the little tip of his fingers there. So, um, I had to I had to go to school, and you know I'm concerned about him. And the thing was, here's the thing, <laughs> you know that that's not that big a deal. It's not his fault or anything. Turns out, it's my fault. I'm the guy that sharpened the knife. <laughs> me, I'm the guy. Now, if you know anything about me, if your knife isn't razor sharp, it's not a knife. So um, the school. The school had probably 15 or 20 knives that were in the worst shape I've ever seen. They had curled edges. Some of them had gone in the garbage disposal with chips taken out. And I thought, wow, I'm going to be a good Samaritan here. I'm just going to take all of these home. And I did. And I put a nice edge on them. They were like brand new. And, uh, <laughs> and my son gets cut. And the thing is, he's not the only kid that got cut using... <laughs> my knives. Three kids got cut. Now, I think Sam's was the worst. And here I am thinking, I've done a good thing. They're going to love using these knives. Turns out you can make a knife too sharp, especially for junior high school, or, or not high school, junior high students. Um, so anyway, that, you know, I felt pretty bad about that. So thought I'd done a good thing. No, I went a little too far. I'm prone to that. Um, and then last Sunday, Anne again was on a trip, or she was going on a trip, and I forgot my phone, which normally, you know, so what? But the fact is, she was leaving that morning. If you remember, she wasn't here last Sunday, and I kind of wanted to have that in case she needed to contact me for whatever reason. And it also has the song list on it. My phone has the songs, so I'm without that. That's annoying. And then the boys forgot their tithes. That's annoying. Even though they're sitting right there, they can grab them on the way out. Um, they've done that many times. But, oh, also that afternoon, Sam, both Sam and I forgot his online speech meeting. So several things happened. You know, I'm the guy in charge. It's on me, and I don't want to drop the ball. Well, I dropped the ball multiple times. And then last week, Wednesday, my computer decided that one day before the fall semester starts, it would be a great time to die. <laughs> my computer died. And for a professor, your, your office computer is your life. That's your life right there in a little electronic package. And uh, that, that was a doozy. So uh, it just decided it didn't want to do anything. I couldn't save files and, you know, I'm trying to prepare lectures and plus I've got all that research data, years of research data on this computer and it is all backed up, fingers crossed. I hope it's all backed up but um, I'm still waiting for a new computer. That was kind of a doozy. Um, also, that same day, Anne was due back into town from her conference, and I got a call at 9.30. I thought she was gonna say, hey, I'm back at the airport, I'll be home in an hour and a half. That's not what I heard. She said, hey, I'm back at the airport, I don't know where my keys are. 
I said, okay, I'll be there in an hour and a half. I had the spare key, and uh, at 1.30 in the morning, the day before I start the semester, I got home. So um, fortunately, the keys have been found, and I don't blame her. Uh, they, were, they were in a hotel in Vermont, <laughs> so they are being shipped back to us. But uh, I have to say, just ask my mom. I, I have left things in hotels before. So mom, if you're listening, if you're watching this, I got you. I remember. So yeah, I know what that's like. And then one more thing. I got to share this. I, uh, Thursday, last Thursday, I have, uh, I have an old box of pocket knives that, you know, things that my ancestors had that I inherited, and they've always been really rough. I mean, these were well used and the kind where, you know, you open the blade and it's really hard to open. And I thought, I, I need to clean these things up. I'm going to actually make these usable. So another knife story here, I guess. And uh, I, got, I came across a knife. I have it right here. This is a knife that I got when I was probably 10 years old. Right, that's right. <laughs> it, it is sharp, believe it or not. Uh, it's mine, so you know it's sharp. And I got this when I was about 10 years old. This was the mid-80s from my grandfather, my, my mom's dad. And I love this little knife. It's, it's not a well-known brand. It's made in Japan, but it is quality. Um, knives made in Japan, they are quality. And this little knife I carried for, like, religiously for maybe 15 years, and I'm using it, and I'm sharpening it, and it's gotten to where it's a little worn down. And I don't just want to completely use it up. So I stopped carrying it several years ago, and I, I went to a different one. And I got these knives out, and I found that one again. I was like, man, I really love carrying that knife. It's a nice little knife. It just slips right in your pocket. It's handy. And I thought, hey, we have this thing called the Internet now. I'll just get online, get on eBay, and find one just like it, and I'll have a new version of that knife that my grandpa gave me. I did. There it is. I got online and I found it. I was like, hey, that one's got a nice full blade on it. It's not all worn down. So now I was so proud. Thursday night, I came home from work. I was like, yes, I'm going to get that thing cleaned up, be good to go. So I, I was working on it and I noticed the tip of the blade was sticking up a little bit to where it would snag on things and maybe your finger, which is not good. So what you can do with a knife where the tip is sticking up just a little too high, you can shave a little bit of this blade stop off of there. Take a grinder, shave a little bit off, and it will seat down into the, into the handle better. So I thought, well, I'll just fire up the grinder and shave a little of that off of there, we'll be good to go. And I did. I pulled that off just, just fine, and that knife closed so sweet, and then I thought, all right, good to go. So I'm going to sharpen this up and clean it up, and, and there it is. So I did, and as I was cleaning it, this big chunk of pocket lint fell out of the hinge of the knife, and, I, and then it would swing open real easy, and I was like, okay, got it. But when I closed it, the blade sank down really low in the handle of the knife because I had ground a little bit of that off and now the edge of the blade was slamming against the bottom of the knife handle when you snap it closed. And I tell you what, this seems like a small thing, but I was so proud of this little knife and that blade went way down too far and I knew it instantly and my heart sank. I was like, I just ruined a vintage 
Japanese pocket knife. These things are not easy to find, and I had just ruined that little thing. Well, uh, and at this time, I was out in the garage, and I'd been out there a while. I'm, I'm looking at this thing and studying it and thinking, there's nothing I can do here. I just ruined this thing. And she happened to walk out to the garage. Poor Anne. She walked out at the wrong time. And I was recounting this whole experience to her. And as I was talking, I was getting angrier and angrier. Mad. It was building up. I, I have to, now looking back, I'm sure Satan was just sitting back going, <laughs> got him. And I, it was... You know, like in the cartoons, the, therm the thermometer was creeping up to the top. And I, I boiled over. Poor Anne, she was standing right beside me, and I'm telling her what I did. And at the end of it, I just clenched my fist and slammed it down on my workbench. You might think I'm pretty laid back. <laughs> and, and I am normally. But I'm also a satly. And we have a pretty long fuse. But when you get to the end of the fuse... You don't want to be around. So I slammed my fist on that. I think Ann thought I broke my hand. I didn't. My hand's fine. But it sounded like a lightning bolt hit the house. It was loud. She jumped. I immediately regretted it. I think I scared her to death. But um, anyway, that is kind of my past 10 or 12 days. <laughs> I didn't say this was a comprehensive list. <laughs> Josiah did spill five pancakes with syrup all over the, the carpet because he tripped over our cat. So thanks, Tiger. Okay, so no, it wasn't a comprehensive list. I thought I'd share a few, and that was long enough. So anyway, I thought, boy, I have had a time. This just stinks. And then I was doing some Bible study, and I came across a guy, probably heard of him, Apostle Paul. And I came across some, some scripture where I felt about this big because I looked at what I've been dealing with the past week and a half or so and then what he dealt with, and I thought, um, I don't have a leg to stand on here. This guy is a superhero. Paul was one of the toughest guys that ever lived, in my opinion. And you know, I like to watch movies, uh, old Bible movies at night. When everyone's in bed, I'm sitting downstairs watching a Bible movie from 1968 or something like that. And they always have some frail guy who's Apostle Paul, and you know, maybe he's got a big gray beard and wrinkles, and he's, he's up there in years. I always thought, no, let's, let's, let's get someone like peak Charles Bronson, and he's Apostle Paul. You remember Charles Bronson in the 60s? Man, that guy was built. He was, you know, to me, that would be a guy you'd want to play the Apostle Paul. But anyway... He was one seriously tough dude, and uh, he tells us this in a way that it's just matter of fact. He's not bragging here. Paul's very sensitive about boasting. He does not do it. He's a humble guy, but if anyone could boast, it would be him. So I wanted to uh, read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 30 to you, and, and you'll see some of the stuff he dealt with was... Uh, <laughs> made what I've been dealing with insignificant. Starting at verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
a night and a day I have spent in the deep. Now that probably says, yeah, adrift at sea. Okay, so in the deep, adrift at sea, that's probably what that means, where he was shipwrecked, I assume, and he was floating on the water, adrift at sea. Um, I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers. Can't say I've been in danger from a robber recently. Dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So he's talking about his, his daily worries. Um, who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? He's saying that he's been very empathetic. If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. So um, I'm reading this list and I'm thinking, I've been convicted here. <laughs> my problems are nothing. My problems are pale in comparison to what Paul is dealing with in, in his daily ministry. Um, so I thought I would talk about this. I did a little research and, you know, what does it mean? What, 39 lashes. That's a pretty specific number. 39 lashes. And what is a lash? And I, I tend to dig into some details. Well, uh, five times he got this punishment. Now, this was a Jewish punishment. This was distinctly Jewish. And as brutal as this will sound, probably, other cultures did worse punishments, physical torture type punishments. But here's what the Jewish punishment was. Um, the 39 lashes were from a whip-like scourge that had three cords, and usually these were leather thongs that had knots tied in them. So every couple inches there's another knot tied tied into it, and, and a man would be whipped with this scourge. Now it had three cords, so 39 lashes would be the, what the man would get, so you would hit the person 13 times. 13 times 3. Every hit is three lashes, right? Because there's three cords. And, uh, you know, the, this was kind of an ingenious way to ensure that you didn't go beyond 39. And actually, the maximum allowed was 40. Um, that, was, that goes all the way back to Moses. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 2 and 3, which I don't have up here, but uh, it's just Moses saying how a man can be punished. And up to, but not exceeding, 40 lashes. If you accidentally went over 40, the man punishing the person would be reviled by the society because it was considered excessively cruel. You do not go over 40. And so the Jews would stop at 39 just in case. And later they devised this three-chord scourge, 13 hits, and there it is, 39, 39 uh, stripes on the person. So five times... Paul endure this. How many lashes is that? I think it's 195. Now, hopefully my math is better than a certain Kevin who will be unnamed, but if I'm right, it's 195 stripes, as they would say, that Paul received through from the Jews. And of course, it was unjustified. The Jews did not like what he was teaching. So they would, they would punish him. Then Paul says he was three times 
beaten by rods. So I'm like, okay, so what, what is this rod punishment? Who administers that? Well, this was a Roman punishment. So the Romans, they didn't do the lashes thing, and they had no limit on how many strikes a man would get. So this was, this was cruel. This was just really cruel punishment. The rods uh, were usually made of wood, like elm or birch, and uh, the person would be tied and smacked with these rods, however long, you know, until the punisher got tired. The, the person doing the punishing until he got tired, I guess. And uh, bones would be broken, of course, bleeding, and often the person being punished would be hung by his feet, upside down, hanging there, and the person with the rod would smack his feet over and over and over until they're bloody and broken. That was often a punishment. Now, Paul doesn't say if that specific thing happened to him, but if three times this happened to him, I have to think maybe at least once it's going to be where he's upside down and his feet are being smacked. So, um, you know, think about that. This is Paul. He is... He's an evangelist. He's going all around everywhere. He's spreading the gospel. He is traveling. Paul traveled like no one else. And most of that travel was on his feet. Yes, he was in ships a lot. And that didn't always go so well, as we just read. But uh, he was walking a lot. And uh, to have a punishment where his feet were all broken up, that would be really detrimental to his ministry. And you, you have to know that was Satan coordinating that. You know, the last thing Satan wants is for Paul to get to where he's going because he's going to spread the gospel and he's going to add to the disciples, the followers of Christ. He did that everywhere he went. So Satan would devise these things that would prevent that. But Paul, like I said, Paul was a superhero. He rose above these things. Um, somehow, somehow, he took three of these beatings and he's, he's still going. Um, you know, he's... He's at least peak Charles Bronson. He might be beyond that. Um, all right. So uh, it's interesting in Romans 10:15, Paul quotes Isaiah, and he says, "How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things." And um, that has special significance for Paul, I think. You know, he he probably read Isaiah, and he's thinking about those beatings he had, and he's like, "Yep, for sure." Okay, I wanted to talk a little bit about Paul's stoning. Now, when Paul got uh, pelted with stones, um, this happened in a town called Lystra. And um, he went there, and he was making disciples. And originally, initially, the, the people of that town were pretty okay with him. They were listening to him. He was making disciples for Christ. And uh, as often happened, the Jewish leaders got wind of... Paul being there, making disciples for Christ, and they did not like that. And uh, they, they, the leaders from towns, surrounding towns like Antioch and Iconium, they came to Lystra for the express purpose of preventing his ministry. And they were really good at it. They riled up the people so much, the people in Lystra, that they became an angry mob and decided that Paul needed to be stoned. And they went about that. So, so when a person is stoned, usually that person is backed up against a wall. They can't get away. 
and there's a semicircle of people around that person, and they are picking up rocks and hurling them at this person as hard as they can. And it might take a little time, but before long, that person's going to go down. You know, it just takes one rock in the head, and you're unconscious, you're on the ground, and you're out cold, and you're bloody and broken and beaten, right? That is what a stoning is, but there's more to it. A stoning was a death sentence. Okay, so when that person was down, someone, usually a town leader, someone of prominence, would get a big stone, something like a two-hand stone, walk up to that person who's on the ground, unable to defend themselves or move, and do the final blow. The final blow would, you know, not to be too gruesome, but generally would crush the skull of the person who got stoned. It was a death sentence. That person was dead. Okay, so uh, I wanted to, to read from Acts that talks about this event, and it is so amazingly brief. This is a, this is a huge event in Paul's life, and the, there's just a few verses that really describe this <clears throat> other than what we just read. So Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 20. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds... They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby, another town. So, you know, it's very matter-of-fact, very brief, but you're reading this and you're thinking, wait a minute, what do you mean he got up? How did he get up? And you're telling me that somehow he did, and then what did he do? He went right back into the city where they stoned him? Some, there's more to this than meets the eye. What is going on here? You don't get up from a stoning. It's a death sentence. And it says, for all intents and purposes, these people, they knew he was dead. They dragged him out of the city. They threw his body on the ground for the dogs, the vultures, clean up the mess, and they walked away, they're done with him. So what is going on? What do you mean the disciples stood around him and he got up? There's something to this. So I would like to suggest, now you don't have to agree with me at all, but I'm reading this and I'm thinking, what do you mean he got up? He was, he was dead. I would like to suggest that he was dead that they did kill him. Okay? Now, I don't know if you've thought about this yourself or if you've ever heard this in another sermon. I don't think, you know, what I'm saying is not original. But I wonder, I wonder if he was actually dead. If so, it explains a few things to me. And I thought I'd share this with you guys today. Um, <clears throat> where am I? Lost my place. Just like Kevin, right? I lost my place. Um, okay, so some questions. I've got some real questions about this that, that the text is pretty vague about. But if you look closely, maybe there's some answers there. So, is it possible that the stoning killed Paul? Well, the people of Lystra sure thought so. They, pres they assumed he was dead. And what's to say he wasn't? I mean, these are people in a, living in a time where death is commonplace. They saw death every single day. 
And I don't mean just human death from disease and, and war, things like that, but I'm talking about if you want chicken for dinner, you got to go wring its neck. They're, they're around death all the time. They know something's dead when it's dead. These, these are not foolish people. They thought he was dead, so let's go on the presumption that he was. That might explain a few things. All right. Um, so first, Scripture tells us the disciples surrounded his body. They came around the body. And I'm thinking, okay, that's, there's not a lot of detail there. What are they doing? Are they just like gawking? Like, like I can't believe this. Here's Paul. Here's our mentor, and he's dead. And how long were they gawking? Were they just staring? To me, that doesn't really hold a lot of water. It doesn't make sense. You know, these, like I said, these people are around death all the time. I don't think they're just staring. Why might Christians surround someone? Maybe they are praying for him. Maybe they are all, maybe they take hands, maybe they are praying fervently. Not that they don't know he's dead, but maybe, you know, maybe they're asking the Lord to give him back to them. Maybe they're saying, Lord, his work wasn't done. Give him back to us. So maybe they are praying fervently for him. The scripture doesn't say that, does it? I'm surmising a little bit. This is a little bit of speculation on my part, and maybe it's not right. But I have to wonder, they're, they're probably not just staring at this guy, um, although they could have been. But I think maybe there's a good chance they were praying. Now, secondly, if Paul actually did die from this incident, it would explain some really mysterious words uh, that are found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, if you remember about six weeks ago, I actually had a communion meditation on these words. So let's go ahead and read that. <clears throat> chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I don't know, God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. So I talked about this very thing about six weeks ago, maybe six or seven. And I, I have always thought this was mysterious. For one thing, this is a really amazing event. A guy is taken up into heaven and then comes back to earth? What's his name? <laughs> I want to know the guy's name. Why doesn't Paul give us his name? A little weird. This, is, this must be some really important guy. And you know what I'm starting to think? I think the guy is Paul. Paul is speaking of himself here. It's kind of like one of those stories where you're like, well, I had a friend one time who did this and this and this, you know, where you're trying to tell something about yourself, but you don't want to implicate yourself. It's like, well, I had a friend. I, I kind of think Paul's doing that here, that he's saying, oh, I know this guy who went up into the third heaven and heard amazing things. And I, it seems like there's a good chance he is the guy. 
So, if this is true, if the stoning killed him and he went up into heaven, the third heaven, paradise, I don't know exactly what that is, but if he went there and heard inexpressible things, he seems a little confused about it, right? Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Like maybe maybe there's some confusion there. Maybe he had just died and bam, there he is. He's like, where am I? And uh, maybe through the prayer of the disciples back on earth surrounding his body, they're praying fervently for him. Maybe he experienced death, was in this third heaven, and then was returned to earth. Now, I imagine this is probably pretty controversial, but I'm just reading it for what it says, and I'm thinking, why didn't Paul just name this guy? So the question becomes, okay, if it was Paul, why didn't he say, it was me? I, one time, I died and went to heaven and came back. Well, for one thing, he does seem a little confused about the whole, the whole thing. Whether he was or not, I'm not sure. But secondly, remember what I said about Paul. He never wanted to boast. What would happen if some guy came up to you and said, Hey, you know, I've been to heaven. You would not believe what I heard. I can't even utter. I can't even tell you what I heard. It was amazing, though. And here I am back here. Well, you'd think, uh, Okay, dude, you're, you're crazy, aren't you? Well done. Um, Paul's not going to do that. He's not going to say, hey, I'm a crazy guy who went to heaven. You know, he's not going to implicate himself here. Secondly, the second reason he wouldn't do that, I don't think, is because Paul does not boast in himself. You know, he would not want to convey that, hey, I'm good enough, and I went to the third heaven, and now I'm back here. And I can't tell you about it, but trust me, it was amazing. I, I don't think Paul's going to boast about something like that. He was a master of telling people things that happened to him without boasting. He was a master at it. I think Paul, in addition to being one of the toughest guys of all time, I think he's one of the smartest. He has a way of saying what happened to him without saying what happened to him, if you know what I'm talking about. He just had a way of doing that. So um, I can't imagine him saying, this happened to me, just outright. Uh, he speaks very carefully in these words. I know a man and who 14 years ago, how specific is that? If this is just some guy you met, how would you remember it was 14 years ago unless maybe it happened to you? Then you might know, oh yeah, 14 years ago and 12 days, you know, something like that. If that happened to you, you'd probably, you'd probably know some details about it. All right, so... Pretty controversial. I'm not saying this is all correct. I'm just saying that I'm reading these words and I'm thinking, hey, what is really going on here? A stoning was a stoning. You were dead. And these people of Lystra. Another thing, Paul got up and he did what? Went back to the city. Are you like me? And you're thinking, are you crazy? They just tried to stone you. Did. <laughs> they didn't try to. They did. They just stoned you. Why are you going back there? The disciples must have thought he was nuts. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he explained himself. We don't really have the words, but he did go right back into that city. You ever wonder, why didn't those people say, hey, there's that guy again, let's finish the job. We didn't kill him. You would think that they would do that. They would see him and say, let's finish the job. I guess we didn't do it well enough. But they didn't. Why? 
Why didn't they finish, finish the job? I think it's because they were terrified. When you stone someone, they were dead. These people dragged his body out. His head might have been caved in, for all we know. He, as far as they're concerned, this is a dead man. So when he walks back into the city, these people are seeing a dead man walking. They probably think he's a ghost. They are probably thinking, okay, I don't know what's going on here, but it's supernatural, and I'm out of here. They're not thinking about picking up another rock and throwing it at him. They're thinking about, uh-oh, he's going to come back here and kill us all. This is, this is crazy. What is going on? So they, they probably, stoning him and finishing the job is probably the last thing on their minds. And I always wondered about that. And I thought, well, why didn't they just kill him again? It seemed crazy that he would go back into that city. Until I really thought about it and thought, what must those people have thought? I mean, I, maybe he walked into the city with no wounds. If he had just been stoned, he would have looked awful. Blood everywhere. What if he walked back into that city and had no wounds because he had essentially been resurrected? What if that had happened? That would explain why the people didn't kill him again. Because they, they must have known, wow, something bigger than us is going on here, and I'm not going to stick around to be punished. I'm out of here. So I, these are just things I've thought about. And you know, um, it's, it's crazy how often a, Kevin is right, how often a communion meditation overlaps with something you're going to bring up in a sermon. Um, I'm finding this out today. Uh, Mike read the very passage I was going to mention at this time, uh, Romans chapter 8. Sorry. Oh. Romans turns out, is not the same as 2 Corinthians. Okay, Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 38 and 39. I don't think I gave Sam this one, so I'll just read it to you. And Mike read it earlier. And I'm going to cut out some of the, uh, the stuff in the middle. It really, you know, with this in mind, like if Paul really did die here, it puts new meaning, new uh, impact on these words here. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, if he really did die, then he knows what he's talking about. Neither death nor life can separate us. So, so what, what is my point here? I, my point is, Paul uh, really, you know, regardless of what you think about the stoning and whether he was really dead or not, um, the point is, Paul dealt with some things. Like he had some real, real problems. And we don't typically deal with things like this, at least I hope not. Um, all of these trials in Paul's life were major setbacks, uh, or potentially could have been, that were devised by Satan to inhibit his ministry, to put a roadblock up everywhere he went, everywhere he turned. Satan would rile up the Jewish leaders who would rile up the people, and you'd have an angry mob, and Things like this would happen anywhere Paul went where people were being saved. So, you know, everything from minor setbacks where he couldn't go to a city that he wanted to go to, to uh, floggings and beatings. So we, we might not be dealing with trials that are on this level in our own lives, but you better believe that Satan is putting roadblocks in your life 
anytime you are trying to make inroads for Christ, you better believe he's going to be there. And I got to tell you, I, I didn't see it coming. You know, in my past couple of weeks, I've had, I've had some frustrations. Why was I surprised? Why did I let that get to me? I should expect those things. Every one of us should expect those things from our enemy. Don't be surprised. And don't give him the satisfaction of letting yourself boil over like I did. Do not punch the workbench. Don't do that like I did. I'm a poor example of temper control. Um, I hope you have a longer fuse than me because I just know I gave Satan a chuckle there and ooh, that burns me up. My temper's flaring over that. <laughs> um, all right, so Paul says in Acts 14.22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. How true is that? It's through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. So when you have tribulations, count yourself blessed because uh, that's what it's all about, overcoming tribulations when you are trying to make inroads for Christ. All right, I'd like to read a prayer I came across from uh, a pastor named Rick Renner, uh, who I believe is a pastor overseas in Russia. Um, came across this prayer, really liked it. So uh, I'll read this if you guys would, would pray with me. Lord, I want to be the kind of person who never allows the circumstances of life to stop me from accomplishing your plan for my life. I'm sorry for the times I've acted weak and complained that the circumstances I faced were too hard to deal with. The truth is, you have given me your spirit and your power. That means there is no problem, no challenge, and no hardship I cannot conquer and overcome. If I take the power you make available to me, I can do anything you tell me to do. So today, I'm making my choice. I'm reaching out by faith to grab hold of your spirit's power so I can be supernaturally quickened to complete every assignment heaven ever asked me to do. Amen. All right. We'll play a song or two, and... Uh, I would invite you, if you, um, if you don't personally know the love of Christ, to come up here and talk to someone, um, talk to me, talk to Mike, talk to anyone in this room who knows the love of Christ, and we can help you out with that.